Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. This podcast is designed to hold space for honest conversations. From purity culture to faith, sexuality, relationships, identity, culture, deconstruction, and more. My hope is to look doubt in the face, be curious, seek God, and ask meaningful questions to address any elephant in the room with openness, nuance, and grace. I won't pretend to be an expert and definitely don't have all the answers. And though it may feel easier and more comfortable to exist in the black and white, I invite you to discover God with me in the gray and unexpected spaces. So whoever you are, whatever you do or don't believe, you are welcome here and have a seat at this table. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective Podcast on iTunes. So each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And while you're at it, if you feel so inclined, leave us a five-star rating and written review. It would be so helpful to get our message out there. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I am your host, Kat Harris, and a special thank you and shout out to Newsstand Studio at Rockefeller Center, New York for producing this podcast. I seriously am so grateful for you guys. Thank you for really making this podcast a reality. You can follow Rockefeller Center on Twitter at RockCenterNYC or on Instagram at Rockefeller Center. The tree lighting is happening soon. Holidays in New York City is literally my favorite thing in the world. I constantly feel like I am Buddy the Elf during the holidays in New York. So if you're around, come say hi at Rockefeller. We would love to see you. Now, next, we have so much going on on my Patreon community right now. You know, I've said this so many times before. Patreon is that little space on the internet where I have my most honest and raw conversations. These are the conversations I'm not ready to have with the masses, but that I do want to have an intentional community. So I would love to invite you to join our community. That's patreon.com slash The Refined Collective. A few of my recent weekly videos that I have posted are, I'm doing a book review series on LGBTQIA plus issues and the church. And I just reviewed a book called Out Love, A Queer Christian Survival Story by Julie Rogers. This book is incredible. This woman is incredible. Check out the book review on Patreon. I also did a recent vlog about what my life in New York City looks like, what my life as an editorial photographer looks like. So I do 20 hours in New York City, the unsexy, (laughs) not glamorous life of a photographer in New York. And then finally, a recent video I did is what happens when we have a pattern of falling in love with someone's potential, as well as an update on my own love life. So go ahead, check that out. Patreon.com slash The Refined Collective would be so honored for you to join that community. We are supported by Satya Jewelry. I am such a fan of dainty, delicate, and feminine jewelry. I also am a firm believer that the physical is always an invitation to the spiritual. This is why I'm so excited to be partnering with New York City female-founded jewelry company, Satya Jewelry. Satya means truth in Sanskrit. And Satya Jewelry has been creating inspiring, spiritual, and intentional jewelry since 2002. Satya Jewelry creates beautiful spiritual pieces using sacred and meaningful symbols and semi-precious gemstones renowned for their healing properties. Cast in sterling silver and 18 gold plate, each Satya Jewelry design is created to bring joy, peace, and hope as a celebration of all backgrounds. I am currently wearing the Eternal Seeker Choker Necklace. It's so feminine. I love it so much. It's gold-plated with these beautiful Labradorite gems throughout. And the intention behind the gemstone is imagination, perseverance, and truth, which I know I could use some more of that in my life, y'all. In partnership with the Satya Foundation, Satya Jewelry has helped raise over $1 million in donations to help empower and support children worldwide through social and economic initiatives. 
To dive into the beautiful world of Satya Jewelry, visit www.satyajewelry.com and use promo code RC15 for 15% off your first order. That's www.satyajewelry.com with promo code RC15. Now, on to today's episode. I just told the guests before we went live that I feel like I'm talking to Beyonce and Jay-Z because I am so thrilled to have them on here. We have Jaya and Ian. Now, Jaya is an award-winning somatic sexologist. Have you ever heard of one of those? A sexological body worker, author, and founder of the Erotic Blueprint Breakthrough. She has over two decades of practice in the study of turn-on, ancient erotic rituals, tantric sex, mastery of sensual touch, pure erotic play, kinky dynamics, and the biology and psychology of attraction and sexual fulfillment. Jaya is widely recognized as a leader in the field of sexology. She is also known for her role on the popular Netflix docuseries, Sex, Love, and Goop, where she joins Gwyneth Paltrow and a team of experts to help couples enhance their relationships through more pleasurable sex and deeper intimacy. Ian Ferguson is Jaya's life and business partner and the co-founder of the Erotic Blueprint Breakthrough. Jaya and Ian, welcome to the podcast. I'm so grateful you're here. Mm, It is our great pleasure to be here. So good to be here with you. Yeah, I, I know that so many people are probably finding out about you now because of Sex, Love, and Goop. And how how has that been? Like, what has that been like for you guys? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've had some publicity runs in the past, but this is certainly on a whole other level in terms of the amount of people who are, you know, becoming aware of this work and the sort of flood. And then there's all sorts of other aspects of just the launch of the show and some other things that have gone on that have been um, amazing and overwhelming at times. And it's really interesting because I feel like before the show even aired, I was starting to feel this, wow, maybe we're actually going to have a intelligent, mature conversation about sex mm. in our culture. Like maybe yeah. this thing's going to happen. Maybe, just maybe, <laughs> maybe we're just finally maybe. ready to, to have that conversation. And I think that the show is a really good starter. And and I have noticed an up-leveling of the conversation around mm. what is this thing sex and right. and what is this about pleasure and why have we made it so taboo and and some of these things that have really opened up yeah i think we're ready at least i feel freaking ready to <laughs> talk about sex and so much of the work i do through my book and through the podcast and with the church is hey we are sexual beings this is part of how we were designed and created to have arousal and sexual desire and to feel turned on Mm -hmm. is one of the most normal and natural human experiences. It's not sinful. It's not bad. It's not dirty. It's not gross. And in fact, the more we shame our sexuality and desire and sexual experiences, the more shame we're creating. And I feel like especially people, I think all people deal with some sort of sexual shame, no matter what you have or haven't done. But I think especially, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this, religious culture. I am specifically grew up in Christian culture, but it was like, you're not supposed to think about sex, talk about sex, think about thinking about having sex. (laughs) And then like one day you get married and all of a sudden you're supposed to be this like sex goddess. Uh (laughs) I think so many of my friends and community myself included, even though I'm still single, has dealt with so much trauma and shame when it comes to their sexuality. Uh And I think because of that, at least so many people in my world and my community were like, okay, we're done. We're done shaming this. Like, and now that we're done with this, we all we all want to talk about it, but we don't know how to. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Yes, absolutely. I grew up Catholic, so I mm-hmm. I relate, you know, it was that this is bad, dirty, wrong. Don't think about mm. it. Don't talk about it. And I completely agree with you. I mean, sex is God made uh, made us. God made our bodies. Made our bodies for pleasure. Made our bodies for yeah. pleasure and turn on. And and I think that that we are all a product of sex. We all came mm. from sex. I mean, it's a beautiful thing that we create more of ourselves. We all yes. got here through it. So and, there yeah. must be. <laughs> and by demonizing it, we actually demonize something that that God created. And, That's right. And That's so right. this 
I love that we're having this conversation because it is time for us to start to open those doors on, well, what does a healthy, beautiful, connected, spiritual mm-hmm. sex life look like? Because to me, there there wasn't a separation. Somehow, yeah. even though I got that messaging early on, there wasn't a separation between God and and sexuality. It was like mm-hmm. these two things go together that, that I can... I can achieve spiritual states of mm-hmm. consciousness or more yeah. connection with God. It's a prayer to me. Yeah. Like, can sex become a prayer? That was an early inquiry in my life. Wow, that's such a that's such a powerful question. I remember years ago, I was walking through a journey of I'd been so shut down to my sexuality and desire. I thought all sorts of pleasure outside of like marriage, like bedroom mm-hmm. sexual pleasure was wrong and sinful. I thought masturbation was sinful. And so years ago, uh, probably about 10 years ago, I started really working through that. And I remember one of my therapists saying, is it possible that God could want to be a part of your self-pleasure and Mm self-exploration? Is it possible that it could be a time that you could connect deeper with God? Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is a crazy person. What are they even saying? (laughs) Like, But really, they were saying to me, it's not as though God created our spirit or our mind or our right hand. And then when guys get an erection, he's like, well, the devil did that. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, Or ew, those fluids happening, that's a, that's a system malfunction. No, right. like God created humans holistically. And that means that there's something about the sexual experience that is not only like God honoring and beautiful, but that like God wants to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And, and so I... I know that that might sound like whoa to some to a listener right now but I think we are holistic beings so how do we reconnect with all parts of us regardless if we're in a relationship or not mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah I mean even the way our bodies are created we have parts mm-hmm. of our bodies that are just created for pleasure that is their mm-hmm. sole purpose mm-hmm. <laughs> well, i.e. the clitoris <laughs> Right, the clitoris, the sole, the sole purpose of the clit is pleasure. Yes, correct? Mm-hmm. absolutely. Now, do guys have some? Do guys have a part of their body where the sole purpose is pleasure? Sure, the frenulum, or the it's it's basically the um, the the biological equivalent to the clitoris is the foreskin, mm-hmm. the frenulum. If you've had your foreskin cut away, like most uh, men in Western culture, you probably still have some of that tissue left. That's highly, highly sensitive tissue, tons of nerve endings in it, mm. and it's all there for pleasure and arousal. Ah, love it. Love it. Okay, well, I really do. I want to dive into what the erotic blueprint is because I did your quiz months ago. I've been researching it for my own life. But before we get into that, can you guys unpack what is a somatic sexologist? Like, what does that even mean? And can you guys really maybe tease out what some of the work is that you guys do? Mm -hmm. I read your bio, but I just want to hear you guys bring to life what you guys do. Sure. So a somatic sexologist is someone who doesn't just focus on the mental aspects of sex. And sex is something for the majority of erotic blueprints, and I'm sure we'll touch on that later, um, happens in the body. It's something mm-hmm. that happens through our sensations and our skin. And, and so this idea of a somatic sexologist is someone who really helps us to understand what is happening in our body and to educate people on who they are as erotic beings through those experiences to help us really understand who we are. It's about education, but in that education, there's often a therapeutic effect that happens Mm. because as we learn, we start to unravel those layers of shame and pain and, and trauma that we've experienced in our bodies and start to open up and create a new safety as we learn, as we do the education. Mm-hmm. And the work of the erotic blueprints came very much out of especially Jaya's work as a somatic sexologist because it was no longer the intellectual approach to mm-hmm. thinking about sex or intellectualizing pleasure. It mm-hmm. was observing patterns in people's bodies as they responded to certain stimulation. And then it became very evident that these were repeated patterns, that some things worked very well for others to create arousal and connection and deeper waves of pleasure in the body. And those same things that we might look at as techniques 
used on another person would create shutdown or just had no uh, pleasurable effect at all. And that's where the blueprints became born out of somatic work and soma meaning of the body. So Mm -hmm. it's the body telling the truth, not the idea of what we think might be pleasurable or unpleasurable. Mm. Yeah, because I even hearing you say that, well, as I was watching this, your episode two on sex, love and goop is so powerful. Mm. Um, We get to see a couple, Damon and Erica, really work through where they believe that, oh, are we sexually mismatched? Are we maybe even sexually incompatible? And they have this experience. And one of the things you say, Jaya, is there's who we think we need to be as erotic beings. And then there's who we really are as erotic mm-hmm. beings. And as as we kind of dive into this conversation about like, what are the five different archetypes? Could you maybe unpack that? Like the this should versus who we really are? Mm-hmm. I think we live in a culture that is mostly sexually blueprinted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll explain what that is. So the sexual blueprint is someone who's turned on by what we think of as sex in our culture, penetration, intercourse, genitals. nudity, genitals, orgasm. And so because we have this culture, what I what I see a lot, and and this can uh, gets a little genderized here, but I see cisgendered heterosexual men who think that that's how they should be. Otherwise, mm. they're not masculine enough or they're not being a man. Mm. And then I see on the other side that if someone who identifies as a cisgendered heterosexual woman is sexual, then that's shameful. That if they mm. fit in that blueprint, then, oh, I shouldn't be that way. Then I'm a slut mm. or I'm, I'm not okay. And, and then all the shames come up about that particular blueprint because it's the culture in which we live. So mm. what starts to happen over time is that we get this masking. I'm supposed to be this way because this is the culture tells me who I am supposed to be as an erotic being, or because I have these gen- these types of genitals, then this is who I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to identify gender-wise, and this is what my gender is supposed to do. And then, it, and then we tap on religion or parental upbringing, mm-hmm. and everybody's telling you who you're supposed to be. And so we get these layers of masking that are not the true essence of who we are as we start to look inside and as we start to really explore pleasure and our own sexuality, there's a lot more in there that that isn't what we were told we were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's an aspect of the body telling the truth. And, you know, the quiz is a fantastic portal to start to get an awareness around some things that you may not have awareness about your own pleasure map. But it is also, again, the brain uh, answering those questions. And mm-hmm. once you start to put those Uh, practices or those gains into the body and start to play with these things. A perfect example is, you know, kinky, and we'll define what we mean by that later on, I'm sure, in in our conversation. But kinky is thought of in in stereotypical terms of this, like, you know, dark chains and whips and chains and spanking and pain. And And it can be that. It can be that. There's, again, like breaking down the taboo and the, the shame around that. But but, but what, it also is just whatever's taboo for you. Right. So when we start putting those practices or the games into um, the, the body, someone who might have an aversion to what they think of as kinky all of a sudden starts to have a revelation of, oh my goodness, that is pleasurable. And, and you see that in the show with Damon. Yeah. He starts to redefine that for himself or reframe that for himself. And then also mm. reframing... Um, as the mask starts to fall away, like, oh, wow, I truly am this other being, this other uh, a blueprint that was underneath all of the masking. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Because I think something that stood out, there's two things that stood out. One, I'll say my personal experience, and then I'll say an observation from Erica and Damon. My personal experience taking the quiz. So I'm I, I've take, I'm the type of person that I, I'll like take a quiz and then I'm like, I feel like I should take it a few more times just to make <laughs> sure, you know, um, because I'm like, I don't know, did I answer that right? That's like me just totally in my head. So I got, I'm 32% sensual. I was going to say, <laughs> as soon as you said you're in your head. Uh-huh. <laughs> 32% sensual and then 32% energetic. And my lowest one by far was sexual. Hmm. And it honestly really surprised me because 
I like when I'm with someone, like I'm like, I can't get enough of them. I'm like, will you just like, like lay on me? <laughs> like mm-hmm. we can just be watching TV. I just like, I feel like I just have so much desire and I'm so like physical. And I feel like that was interesting to be like, oh, am I sensual? And then I read the archetype and a few things stood out to me. And that was one, it said, your type, the sensual is quick to think you are broken Mm -hmm. because you take too long or you're too picky. And that really resonated with me because I'm 36 years old and I've experienced an orgasm one time with Mm -hmm. a guy. And that one time, by the way, was when I was a freshman in college and I was blackout drunk. Mm. Hmm. And it was actually kind of a scary experience because I was so inhibited. I probably should have said trigger warning here. Right. Mm. Um, I was so uninhibited that I actually didn't know if we had had sex or not. Mm. And it took me a few years to realize, oh, actually, we were just dry humping and I had an orgasm. But as a person of faith, as a Christian, I felt so much shame Mm -hmm. because I thought, oh my gosh, I'm definitely not supposed to have sex until marriage. And it was something and is something that is still a value to me. And so if sex was off the table, then like orgasm must be dirty, bad, and gross. And so pretty much any time I've been with a guy or been dating someone, like I'll, even if I get close to it, I'll just like, it's like subconscious. I'm not like, don't think about that. Don't orgasm. It's like, it will just leave mm-hmm, and be mm-hmm. elusive. Mm. And that was like one of the things that the sensual thing said. Yep. Um, so it's been, I think part of it has been hard for me to figure out, even as I've been going through the erotic blueprint blueprints and what I wanted to talk with you guys about is like, even some of the questions I was answering in the quiz, I was like, I don't know. Like, I've actually never had a penis inside of me. So mm-hmm. I don't know how to answer that question. And and so part of me is like, I know there's so many people listening to this who grew up in Christian culture and who either might be saving sex for marriage or not, but that feel that shame of like, man, how do I even find my erotic blueprint if I don't have a lot of experience? Mm-hmm. So a couple ways. One, when you're taking the quiz, is to imagine it. If mm. it's something you haven't tried yet, to mm. just imagine, as I'm reading this, let me take a moment, close my eyes and imagine this and then notice how it feels in my body. Mm. This mm. is the difference right, between a somatic approach and an intellectual approach. Mm. The intellectual approach says, oh, I haven't experienced that yet. So I'm just going to kind of mark that off or mm. I'm doing it from my mind versus from what my body's saying. So if you read the questions and you take a breath and you close your eyes, And you go, okay, how does that feel in my body? If I were to imagine what penetration would Mm. be like, let's just see how that feels. Or if I imagine, I've never had an energetic orgasm, but let me just imagine what that might be like to feel an energetic experience. And then then see what happens in your body just from imagining it. So that's one Mm. thing is, is using that more somatic approach by feeling what's arising in your body as you read the responses. Mm. The next thing is to actually play games, Um, little simple games. You don't have to have intercourse to do them, um, which would be something like going through the body. Here's uh, a touch and here's a B touch. Kind of like when you're going to the eye doctor and the doctor says, Mm. here's A and here's B, which one do you see better with? It's the same concept of here's A and here's B, which one feels more pleasurable to you. Mm-hmm. And you can go through with simple, different variety of touches. And the, the trick is to learn what are the different touches in the blueprint. And you can do this solo on your body, or you could do it with a, with a partner or even a friend, yeah, a friend, you know, cause it doesn't have to be about, Oh, now we're having sex or intercourse or any of that. It's just like, Oh, well, let's just play. Let's take this furry um, furry little thing here that I have that's like a sweater or something uh-huh. and, and rub it on your skin and see what it feels like. Mm. It does not, ha- it doesn't have to have that, um, sexual charge to it. Mm. This is just about finding out what feels good. It, it yeah. has a broader conversation to open up in terms of how, what, how are we contextualizing sex? Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. is our definition of yeah. sex? Yeah. Cause we, Absolutely. our, our definition is vast, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and yeah, I'd love to hear what your definition is. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it kind of includes whatever is pleasurable for you. Like 
orgasmic mm-hmm. sensation? How do you engage? It can be energetic. It, it's not necessarily inter, it's not necessarily intercourse because that's just the sexual blueprints. And again, because mm-hmm. I mentioned we live in this sexual culture that has defined orgasm and sex so limitedly, right? That. If we're looking at it just from the sexual blueprint, sex is intercourse. Sex is mm-hmm. penis and vagina intercourse. But what if you're not in a penis and a vagina relationship? What if both right. of you have a vulva? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so so we have this very limited definition of what yeah. what sex is, and I think what's interesting, especially with spirituality, I know growing up, it was like intercourse was the thing, right? So we did mm-hmm. everything but intercourse. Right, right. <laughs> that was the thing that we put all the emphasis on as being the mm-hmm. off the table taboo, mm-hmm. taboo thing. And so in some ways it became kinky, you know, because mm-hmm. kink is totally. about the taboo. It's like now I, that thing has more meaning to me, even now mm-hmm. still to this day, it's like intercourse has way more meaning. Mm. than many other sexual activities that can happen. And and so I think that this is really an individual choice. And right. it's it's your relationship with God. It's it's that conversation with God of, okay, what is off the table? What what does feel like it's the thing that would be uh against my faith or mm. or not okay. Mm-hmm. And that conversation with yourself and your own spirituality and your own, because for me, I can have an orgasm from the sun shining on right. me, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. God's yeah. giving me an <laughs> orgasm right <laughs> totally. now. Thank you, God. <laughs> um, yeah. So what is that? And is orgasm? Because I've had, I work with so many people and I've had clients who say, um, well, if I have an orgasm, that's the thing. The mm-hmm. orgasm's not okay. Right. Or if I have, you know, if I have anal sex, then that's not okay. Or oral sex isn't okay. Mm-hmm. So what, what are those things and what's the meaning that you're putting on it? Right. And then have a conversation with God of like, okay, like pray, do your spiritual practices and really find the truth within your, within you. Um, mm-hmm. I point people back to themselves a lot in their own relationship yeah. there, because I think mm-hmm. that that's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's so powerful of, is, removing the binary and removing even when you're saying like, well, what's right, you know, like, or what's, what's wrong? Like, what can I do? What can I do? What will God let me do? Or what will God not let me do? But like, what, what, how can I move forward in every aspect of my life? But how can I move forward in this sexual relationship in this romantic relationship and stay connected to myself, Mm -hmm. stay connected to God, and stay connected to others. Like, how can I set myself up for success, whatever my sexual ethic may be? Mm-hmm. How can I be my word to myself as opposed to this is wrong, this is bad. If I do this, I'm going to hell. Right. But no, like, God, do you have an invitation for me? God, what's your vision for sex? And for me, when I, I my book, Sexless in the City, I have a whole chapter <laughs> about like, how do we define sex? Because I was in this mental gymnastics game for years where it was like, okay, so I can't sleep over because that's sinful. So I'm going to leave at 5 a.m. when it's still dark outside. And okay, can't have penetrative sex, but can I do oral? And I realized I was viewing sex from this like tit for tat, one dimensional experience. Mm-hmm. And I read Peggy Orenstein's book, Girls and Sex. And one thing that she really invites people into is to view sex as more of a pool of experiences as opposed to a vertical race up a ladder to one singular destination. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that got me thinking so much because I was like, kind of to both of your points of what you shared. Okay, so do only heterosexual people have sex? Uh-huh. <laughs> what, like, also, like, what happens if your partner's impotent? What happens if you are a vulva owner and you are one of the three-fourths of women that struggle or cannot climax internally? Can you not have a good sex life? And so part of that was like really good news for me to be like, oh, like this makes sense. This feels true because I believe that our lives are holistic and not just this compartmentalized experience. But then it opened this whole other can of worms of, okay, so how do I want to move forward? And what do I feel comfortable experiencing sexually and dating? And mm-hmm. if there is, or if there are things that I want to save for this one relationship, what are those things and why? Mm-hmm. And is it okay if other people land on a different side of the spectrum for that? Like, do we have space for people to be on their own journey with God and themselves? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>
I'll be honest, I'm not the greatest cook in the world. In fact, stepping into the kitchen can feel really overwhelming for me. But over the last year, I've really worked on trying different recipes and honing in on a few dishes so that I can feel confident whipping something up either for myself or last minute when friends come over. And a few of those recipes in my back pocket are now a good frittata. Y'all, I can make a good frittata. Gluten-free banana bread, even a shepherd's pie. I've actually recently been working on a shrimp and brown butter pasta that, mm, let me tell you, is so good. In all my recent cooking experiences, I've realized how important investing into your kitchen tools are. I recently replaced my knife set. And knife set is being generous and describing what I actually had versus what I have now. I tried the brand Made In's Chef Knives Set, and it has changed my cooking experience. Now that I have professional quality knives, it feels like I was just using plastic party knives for all of those years. Made In's cookware and kitchenware products are used by thousands of the world's best chefs. They source the finest materials and partner with renowned craftsmen to make premium kitchen tools available directly to you without the markup. Oh, yes. <laughs> Maiden products are made to last and they offer a lifetime guarantee. Their cookware distributes heat evenly and can easily go from the stovetop to the oven. And their knives are fully forged, perfectly balanced, and stay sharp. They have 28,000 plus five-star reviews and their products are used by some of the world's best chefs at Michelin-starred restaurants around the world. Maiden has better cookware for better meals. So right now, Maiden is offering the TRC listeners 15% off your first order with promo code CAT. That's K-A-T. This is the best discount available anywhere online for Maiden products. So go to madeincookware.com slash CAT, that's K-A-T, and use promo code CAT for 15% off your first order. That's made in M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com slash cat and use promo code cat. As a culture, we're taught to do really kind of whatever it takes to advance our career. We'll invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into our education. We'll take intern jobs with little to no pay for the experience. If you're like me, you will have moved cross country multiple times to put yourself out there. But then with things like love, we say, oh, it'll just happen when it happens. And with things like, do I want kids or not? We say, oh, I'll think about that someday down the road. I'm focusing on me right now, or I'm working on my career right now. But what if we were just as intentional about our reproductive health and our fertility health as we were about our careers? The reality is women are having children later in life. But biology hasn't changed, and we need tools to understand the future of our fertility. That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's the easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label, and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Now, traditional testing with your doctor can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility only costs $159 to get the same information. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash refined, you can get $20 off your test. Also, if you have HSA or FSA, you can use those dollars on Modern Fertility. You'll get insight into how many eggs you have, hormone levels, and other important fertility factors. The results go deep into what every hormone means, and you can also talk one-on-one -on -one with a fertility nurse to review your results and options for next steps. If you want kids today or maybe one day in the future, you need information to make the decision that's best for you. So right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners at the Refined Collective $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash refined. That means you get the test for $139 instead of the hundreds or thousands it would cost you at a doctor's office. So get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash refined. Again, that's modernfertility.com slash refined. I would love to now kind of dive into what are the five archetypes for your erotic blueprint? 
So, well, we dive in? well, we specifically, <laughs> you know, de- define archetypes as a different thing, and the erotic blueprints mm. are your blueprint or your mapping. And let me just talk uh, about the difference okay. between that. So, we have other work called erotic persona work, which is more archetypal. So, it's more mm. about uh, identity in mm. terms of well, there is the who am I as an erotic being, but this is about reclaiming the parts of ourselves that we have ostracized in the archetypal mm. work. So like in a persona work, it's like, oh, I I put into the closet or I I, I made this part wrong bad and I'm going to reclaim that mm. part of myself again. And so that's more of what we, just in our culture, the, the defining of an archetype would be like, the goddess or, um, the, the total teenage, like I have one that's like, uh, she roller skates and she wears <laughs> pink pigtails and, you know, like, like that part of me that I really shut away. That was the very the display young, oriented like, and putting sexuality out in the forefront, world. right. Wearing fishnet stockings or something like that, you know? <laughs> so those are more of like what we think of as archetypal. And, mm-hmm. and I actually want to tie it back to something you were sharing about yourself which is what is your boundary and what is your edge in the exploration? The archetype work helps you to reclaim those zones. So mm-hmm. in the exploration and doing an AB game or playing around with aspects of your sexuality that you may have hidden or buried, when you open yourself up to them, you talked about this aspect in yourself where um, you'll a subconscious aspect is staying away from what you define as orgasm. Well, mm-hmm. there's so many ways to approach the orgasm. There's so many ways that orgasmic energy shows up in the body. And if you're allowing yourself the spaciousness to explore and play with those pieces, w- noticing in your body when there's the retraction, when there's the mm-hmm. shutdown, when there's the edge that you've come up to, whose who's edge is that? Is it the edge that w- that you inherited from other people's belief systems? Is it an identity that has become fixed in yourself because of that? Mm. Yeah. Or is it truly something that is yours, then you wish to own it and you wish to hold that as your own boundary, mm-hmm. but starting to pull apart and that the archetype work really starts to help to pull apart what's yours and what's somebody else's, what's yours, what's society's, what's yours, mm. what's religion's. And in the conversation we're having here- And it's super you- playful and you get to dress up too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and you know, what's yours and what's, what's God's? What's that relationship between you and the spiritual connection to your sexuality? Yeah. And then mm. the blueprints are sort of within a whole other zone. The blueprints are like a language for our turn on. It's it's a way that we are able to talk about it. We open the show with talking about well, how do we even start to talk about sex? And I mm. think what the blueprints do is they they give us uh, a viewpoint into knowing ourselves better and more deeply. They're authentic. And then they help us to communicate that to another person, help mm-hmm. us communicate what our turn-ons might be, help us communicate what our turn-offs are just mm-hmm. as importantly. And yeah. so there's five erotic blueprints. The first one is the energetic. And the energetic is someone who's turned on by anticipation, space, tease, longing, yearning. It's like that moment before you've ever kissed anyone and there's all this anticipation. Mm. And people ask us what energetic orgasms are all the time. And it's it's like that. It's like, oh. The electricity it's, it's, running through the system and it crescendos into an experience of like this rolling energy through the body. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's in the anticipation is where all the turn on. I mean, for those of you who aren't having intercourse, you naturally might fall into an energetic space just because you're in all the anticipation of mm-hmm. that moment. Maybe when you do get married and you move into having intercourse, it's, there's a lot of energetic there that can be happening before you, that. You may have even had an ecstatic experience, ecstatic spiritual experience where you feel this intense God moving, God through, moving you. through your body yeah. that could be associated to an energetic orgasm. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then the next one's the sensual and the sensual is someone who's turned on by all of their senses being ignited where the energetic loves space, the sensual loves closeness. So you talked about mm-hmm. somebody laying on top of you <laughs> or like that, <laughs> that like feeling, mm-hmm. I love the feeling of pressure on my body when I'm mm-hmm. deep in my sensual, that, that holding closeness, slow dancing, romance, that can, emotional connection. And they bring artistry to sex and mm-hmm. the environment. So the beauty, the, you know, flowers, and, can, flowers and candles and, candles and, and chocolate hot and hot baths <laughs> and the deep penetrating touch. That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. 
And then the the next one is the sexual, which we already talked about. It's what we think of as sex in our culture, penetration, orgasm, intercourse. If everybody's having an orgasm, we're having we're a good, good. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> and what's interesting we're, between... We're an equal orgasm opportunity here. Yes. Everyone who wants an orgasm gets to have an orgasm. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting about the sexual blueprint is that they have sex in order to relax. And for someone mm-hmm. who is a sexual, it's like sex is a need. It is something that mm-hmm. makes them feel like everything's right in the world. Whereas like a sensual, it, it's sex is something that unfolds naturally out of the sensuality and they need to relax first before they mm-hmm. move into having sex. So there, it's so interesting how the different blueprints play out where it's like, oh, but I need the massage and I need, I need the hot bath and I need all those things before I can move into the erotic space. Whereas the sexual is just ready in the erotic space and then they relax after the orgasm has come or mm-hmm. after the penetration has come. Then the next one is the kinky, which we've touched on a little bit as well, which the kinky is anything that's taboo for you. So I had a, a Christian couple that I worked with a while back and they both had learned that sex out of missionary position was really taboo. This was something that Mm. they really held fast to for 40 years. And then they started realizing, well, where did that come from? And kind of unraveling a little bit. And so they, they both identified most with the kinky blueprint because anything they were doing that was outside of this, like Tuesday night at a certain time for 40 years, the same exact way (laughs) felt super kinky to them. And so it really is a broad definition because it's, it's, well, what feels like it is that taboo. What feels like it is that edge. And does that create you. arousal for you? Turn <laughs> right. On, does that edge, the, right? Because yeah, you edge. can have that edge not create, like, oh, uh, no, I don't no, want to do that. No, I'm not going anywhere near it. it. That feels totally. not okay. And that can be a turn off. Like, if mm-hmm. we try to have sex in public, I would be totally turned off because I would be in mm-hmm. so much stress. And it still exists as a taboo for you. <laughs> yes. And right. it's still, so it's not kinky. It blueprints mm-hmm. it because it's not a turn on. If that were a turn on, then yes, that would absolutely be um, something that. That would be fall kinky. into the kinky, mm-hmm. and then you have the 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 psychological kinky, which is sort of power games, dominance and submission. Um, you know, very fun to play in the psychological kinky, and then there's the physiological or more um, sensation sensation based. based kinky, which a lot of people associate as the the thing that is kinky. Spanking. And that doesn't have to be painful. That can just be. Yeah. It's about having an intense sensation. Now, for some people, pain is that threshold of mm-hmm. the turn on. And then the final one is the shapeshifter. And the shapeshifter is someone who's turned on by all of it. They love all of it. They want all of it. They want more of it. forever. (laughs) (laughs) An infinite smorgasbord of pleasure and delights. Yeah. um, Mm -hmm. And then the shapeshifter. And each one of these has uh, a shadow and a positive, a superpower. Each one of those uh, blueprints have that. And that can be more, we can dive into that more if you want. But uh, it's always interesting to me to look at not just the positives of it, but also what are those things? Emily Nagaski in her book, Come As You Are, talks about the brakes and the accelerators on our sex life. And so the shadows are like the brakes. They're the things that mm-hmm. you talked about, the sensual shadow, right? Getting caught in your head, orgasm seems elusive. Those are some of the things that are shadows for the sensual. And it, it if you put on those brakes, it doesn't matter how much accelerator you have on. <laughs> so, right, right. Um, it's really important that we learn how to look at and heal those shadow aspects. And, and yeah. for the kinky, shame mm-hmm. is the biggest mm-hmm. one. Right. And I'll also throw in here that you can have all, all the superpowers of one uh, blueprint and shadows of a completely other blueprint. So sometimes when people start hearing us talk about the blueprints and they get that, oh, this is my primary blueprint, they start to create an identity around that. Right. And they think that that's the only access to pleasure. And there's so it's a whole interconnected 360 degree view. And you have a stack of your blueprints like you saw in your results from the quiz. So yeah. you had the sensual, and uh, your next one was the energetic. Uh, was it energetic? Mm-hmm. Um, so those two play with each other, and those are your your fastest roads to um, access your own pleasure and arousal. But they're not your entire makeup of your your sexuality and your eroticism. Mm, I think that's such a good point. Just to just a reminder, I feel like all this, all the work that we do, whether it's like an Enneagram or a sexual blueprint or Myers-Briggs, like all of it is a framework. And I think sometimes we so long to figure figure out the, the system and forget that we're humans. And so like, this is a framework, like, like any framework, like let it be something that like adds life and color to our lives as opposed to like, oh, I'm just essential. Like that, that's all, that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that can become an excuse 
or a way to bypass sure. work mm-hmm. or, or diving into, all right, so this, my partner or is, is energetic. I am kinky. And I think like kind of, we saw in the beginning with Erica and Damon in the show was they almost felt like they were a sexual mismatch mm-hmm. or, or I'll use a different term of, because I think this is a huge fear for people just in general. <laughs> but then I feel like people also who grew up in this religious culture where they are saving sex until marriage, like the big fear is, oh my gosh, what if I get married? And the sex is terrible. Mm-hmm. Like, did I marry the wrong person? Or am I dating the wrong person? Am I with the wrong person? And I think one of the things that you guys have shared about is like sex takes work. Like it's a skill. Mm-hmm. And like, so I guess what I'm trying to like move into and ask you guys is when do you as a person know need, know that, okay, there's an invitation to lean in here and put in some work versus we're actually just not compatible? Or do you think that sexual incompatibility is a myth? I think that sexual incompatibility is a myth. And here's why. It's all about willingness. <laughs> this is all about just learning and skill. And the analogy that I like to use is on languages. So if you fall in love with someone who speaks Spanish and comes from a Spanish culture and you speak American English and you come from that culture, you don't say we're doomed in relationship because you speak a different language than I do. Mm-hmm. You learn each other's language. It's a learnable skill. And you go and you learn each other's language so that the two of you can communicate. And, and it's a way that we honor each other. Mm-hmm. And, and it really isn't about incompatibility. It is about willingness. Mm-hmm. Is your partner or are you willing to, you you use the term work. I even like to broaden it to like, it's not just work. It can be, it can feel like work, but as you start to broaden and expand your own blueprint map, and you even pointed to it, the Enneagram was where I real, I studied the Enneagram before I came up with the blueprints. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they say in the Enneagram is that your Enneagram type just tells you where you're limited. And I Mm -hmm. love that because it's, I feel the same way with the blueprints. It's like, well, if I'm just a sensual, then there's this whole other world. There are all these other worlds of sensuality and sexuality for me to learn and lean into. So mm-hmm. what starts to happen is it turns from work into you as you expand into other blueprint territory, learning to play in it, and it becomes your own turn on eventually. Mm-hmm. And so it, it becomes a turn on to speak Spanish. If you don't speak mm-hmm. Spanish, all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I love this. I want to go to Colombia now mm-hmm. <laughs> and like immerse myself in, in learning Spanish. And so that's, that's really what it comes down to. It's not incompatibility. It is, mm-hmm. are you willing to do what it takes to learn the skills, to honor your partner in what it is that turns them on for both of you in the relationship? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, is there a difference? Because as you're saying this, I'm like shaking my head. Yes, yes. Like this seems, this seems right. And it seems true because I think something that I think of is, you know, I, I, if I've never ridden a bike before, I can't expect to compete in the Tour de France. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And also like everyone's different. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I think any experience that I have with a person, it's going to be different from the other ex- another experience. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad or wrong or not compatible. But I, I'm wondering, is there a difference between sexual compatibility and attraction and sexual attraction and chemistry? And what I mean by that is, well, for example, when you just meet someone, and you just start dating them. So I dated a guy a couple years ago and like we, I really liked him and I was, I really liked him as a person. I loved who he was and is, but the physical attraction wasn't awesome. And like when we would make out and fool around, I was like, Oh, this isn't great. And so I think I struggled in that moment or in that experience constantly because I was like, okay, at what point am I just not attracted to this person Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. versus is this a thing where it just is going to take time to grow? Because I think we all are trained to have this rom-com experience where the first time you're with someone from the first date, there's that spark or the kiss happens and there's fireworks. And if not, if that's not there, then that just means you're not into them. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about, is there a difference between the sexual compatibility versus attraction and chemistry? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to chime well, in? There's definitely the hormonal soup that gets created when first <laughs> meeting someone. 
There's the, the cranial nerve zero, which ties in with your immune systems and are they primed to match together? And you'll, if you mate, you'll make the baby who's going to have the best genetics to survive. So, and, and that's just the pure chemistry. You know, mm-hmm. cranial nerve zero is picking up pheromones, which are larger than smell molecules that go straight to the sex centers in the brain. And it'll tell you like, woo, ding, 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 this, this person. Match. And it's because mm-hmm. it's saying, it's reading the immune system. This is like so amazing that our bodies do this. It's reading the immune system of the other person to see if your two immune systems would make a really good, healthy baby. And then there's all yeah. sorts of things that interrupt that. So if somebody wears perfume, they're going to mess up that. Or, or, that or if you're taking birth control, birth control, you can't, you don't sense it the same way. And then people will say, oh, I went off my birth control and suddenly I wasn't attracted to my husband anymore. Wow. And And that there was a research project uh, where they had women smell t-shirts and based on if they were on birth control or not, how that responded with the pheromonal signature and and reading their body and attraction. So there is, there is definitely a chemistry. There is a chemical reaction happening in your body that is happening on the physical layer. And Mm -hmm. I like to think of it, not just as the physical layer, what are the layers that attraction is happening on? So there's the physical, mm-hmm. and then we have the biochemical layer. We have the energetic layer. The we emotional. have the emotional layer, the intellectual layer. So attraction is this whole very interesting, I love it. Like, why do we fall in love with who mm-hmm. we fall in mm-hmm. love with? And I love the work of Helen Fisher on this. She has a book called Why yes. Him, Why Her mm-hmm. that I really love. And I can super geek out on neurochemistry. Same. <laughs> I love Helen Fisher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, but, but when, when it comes to the longevity of a relationship, people fall into that rom-com um, inherited belief system. If I'm passionate about the person and the relationship is meant to be, then I'm supposed to be passionate. And, and that's supposed to last forever. supposed to last forever. And sex is supposed to be spontaneous. And we're always in love. And there's a whole limerence period, which is also biochemically related to six months to two years of that initial relationship where all of those pheromones, all those hormones can be relied on. To and we actually move more into the sexual blueprint, which I think is really interesting. At the beginning of the relationship. At the beginning of the relationship. So there's a relatedness around our, our, our sexual blueprints, even though they might bypass who we truly are in, a, in our erotic nature. But the, the willingness, the, the desire to dive deeper, the desire to explore and play and become responsible for creating, for creating your sex life, creating your intimate life, not falling into default, that's where um, that at the end of the limerence period, this is where you have to you know, need to start to rely on that willingness. And what are yeah. we here to create? Because the biochemistry is going to change. It changes after someone gives birth to the child. It changes mm-hmm. when you stop doing and, the, and the birth control. Why do we enter into a relationship? You know, is it to have family and safety and comfort? Is it for adventure? You know, these are the things that I think are important questions to ask ourselves because it isn't just about sex. It's mm-hmm. about creating a loving foundation or it's creating a home or what a business together, mm-hmm. you know, Ian and I have had five different relationships. Maybe seven. <laughs> <laughs> our, uh, our friend Esther Perel says it's about innovation, you know, and mm-hmm. that it, couples who innovate are constantly staying in a state of more limerence, arousal, connection. And we, Ian and I continually innovate. Mm-hmm. We let the old relationship die and we rebuild new relationships based on who we are now. And, and as we became parents, that was a transition, transition. right there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as we, as we had d- differences in business or people come into our lives that necessarily weren't healthy for our relationship, we've mm-hmm. had different ways in which it's looked. And, and we, we've been looking at each other lately, just going, how can I love you so much, even more, mm-hmm. you know, like we think that we've hit this place of deep, deep love or like the end and, and it's not fixed. It continually it's changes. richer and opens. And to what yeah. Jaya was saying is like, there's a value system. Uh, you know, like what, what is it that you value in your relationship? What's important mm-hmm. for some people, sex and sexuality and eroticism may actually William. not, may be super important or may not be important at all. But mm-hmm. if it is important to you, where are you going for the education? Because mm-hmm. there is so little out there about authentic, real, fact-based, and pleasure-oriented education around sex and sexuality. So are you relying on your own creativity, which may be great, but are, or are you, you know, like we, we speak to business groups 
quite often and we'll ask them, how many books have you read on business? And have you read a hundred books? And almost every hand goes up. But then when we ask how many books have you read on sexuality and eroticism? Have you read the hundred books? You know, no hands go up. 50 <laughs> books, a hand goes up. 10 books, more hands. And then maybe, maybe a larger group has read one book on sexuality mm. and eroticism. So are you learning to be the linguist? Are you learning to be the musician in your eroticism? Are you just like you'd, you know, care for your body and learn how to work out in all of these different ways to have optimal use of your body? Are you putting that same level of study into your own pleasure and how you relate to your lover and or your partner or your wife or your husband and, and that level of mastery around your eroticism in your life. Hmm. And why do you think we're not reading? Why do you think we're, is it, do you think it's because we don't know what's out there? Is it shame? Like what, why are we reading a hundred business books and one, maybe one sex book? I think we have 10,000 years of culturally inherited shame around sex, mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. attaching us from our pleasure of the autonomy, the sovereignty of this is mm-hmm. my body like we talked about at the beginning of the show, it is designed for pleasure. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's all sorts of politics around controlling somebody's access to their own body is a way of controlling how they behave in the world. It's true in money. It's true in politics. It's true around sexuality. And there's been so little open conversation. Um, And then, you know, my, my personal philosophy around any information is that if you want to be empowered around it, if you want to empower a culture or a family, you that information needs to be shared openly. It needs to be discussed honestly. And um, if there are in, inhibitors of the conversation, like shame or cultural belief systems, or censorship, or censorship, we you know in our business it's very difficult to get the word out because there's censorship in email delivery. There's censorship mm-hmm. in what can be shared on a network. There's censorship inside of school systems about how openly and honestly, like in, in, I think it's somewhere around 30 some states don't have to have um, comprehensive, comprehensive sex education. Sex education. Right. It doesn't have to be accurate sex education. They, they can actually make up things about the biology of sex and pleasure in the education system. So there's literally misinformation built into the education system around this. And I think, you know, just think about sitting on a subway, reading a book. Mm -hmm. You you can read a book that says how to get more successful in business, but reading a book that says 500 ways to please your lover might be (laughs) like feel shameful. And Mm -hmm, so it is that inherited, deeply entrenched shame and, and censorship. We're constantly getting the messages that it, it just isn't okay to talk about. It isn't okay yeah. to educate yourself. And I think we also get the messages that you should know. Nature just knows how to have sex. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I am not a squirrel. I'm a human. You know, we're still part of nature, but like I'm a human being with a different level of consciousness and I could make sex nature, sure. I have a, but, phrase, a phrase that I say, which is, sec- yes, sex is natural, but making love is an art. Exactly. Mm. It, it, do you want to be an artist and and learn all of the flavors or do you just want to be a squirrel? Wow. <laughs> the way that so, analogy so not, some I people like may want to be a squirrel. Sure. They may just love it that way. And that's a, may, might be sexual blueprints. Yeah, you know? exactly. And, and, yeah, and yeah. I don't want to knock the sexual blueprint. Right. Like they definitely have depth, but there is a simplicity to, to sexuality. It's like, well, yeah. what's wrong with everybody else that they want all these all other this things? complicated yeah. stuff. <laughs> right. Well, there's a book that just came out called The Great Sex Rescue by Sheila. I'm going to so... Sorry, I do not know how to say your last name, Sheila. Sheila Gregory. And she basically, this book is her, she does a research study on all of the Christian books, the top most favorite Christian books about sex and marriage. Hmm. And she basically like obliterates them because the big message is that men are sexual, women are not sexual. Mm-hmm. Guys have higher sex drive than women. And she does a study with 20,000 women of faith and ask them all these questions. And the amount of women who have never experienced orgasm, the amount of women who don't even know what foreplay is Mm -hmm. because their husbands are like, oh, or their significant others like, oh, well, no, all like you're dramatic if you need something else. Like, and (laughs) all these women who are like, I've been married for 30 years and 
sex has never lasted longer than five minutes and it hurts. And I think like, I love that she's opening up that conversation. And I, but I think that that even just outside of religious institutions, that's still the cultural, it's still the cultural message yes. that, you know, it's, it's taboo if a woman has sexual desire. It's a taboo. if like, what if she wants a quickie? It's, mm-hmm. it's like, well, if it's not good the first time, then it's just incompatible. And I think part of that is because we're ashamed. We feel like we need to have, we need to be like this girl. And also we just don't have the tools. Like, And so I love what you guys are doing because you're offering tools and you're creating space for a conversation. And I just hope more and more people go through your work and read your books and just get to know you guys better because I, for one, have been so touched by your work. Um, So I just first want to say thank you for what you guys are doing and the conversations you're having. Thank you. Thanks for having the conversation. It's important. Yeah. And can I ask you, like, these are going to be kind of like rapid fire questions. They could each be a whole podcast episode, but I kind of <laughs> just want to know your gut, sort of like your gut reaction answer to the, these questions. Great. You go for it. Good? Okay. Okay. What makes good sex? Uh, presence. Listening. And willingness. Awareness. Mm-hmm. Love it. When is it a good time to start talking about sex with a significant other on your first date <laughs> right away <laughs> how do you approach this conversation uh, create safety vulnerability mm-hmm. um and the safety comes from non-judgment you may have a reaction you may not agree but staying in a place of non-judgment about what the person shares so that they can feel safe to be authentic and share mm. That's so good. And then last question. What are some fun, practical, creative foreplay experiences that you would suggest? You could you could go through the blueprints or you could just kind of pop off whatever is coming up for you. Besides like just making out or dry humping or a little hand job here and there. Like what are some fun ways to explore your sexuality with your person? For energetics, start playing with eye gaze and tease, lots of anticipation, not touching, touching, Mm -hmm. (laughs) learning some of those skills for sensuals. Deep penetrating massage, you know, really feeling the the hands on the body. Bathing with each other, you know, giving each other baths with soaps and vibrating sponges. Mm -hmm. They make vibrating sponges that are fun. (laughs) I'm just going to say, and I'm going to make a shameless plug here, which is, um, you know, we're talking about literacy in this area and really expanding your vocabulary. Uh, And the the training that we give, the Erotic Blueprint Breakthrough course is just full, full of games and ways to explore and have conversations and learn different techniques and tools and practices to to get this kind of relatedness. And we're talking about feeding each other. So Mm -hmm. how do you feed each other in each other's blueprints would essentially be Mm -hmm. what to learn here. Mm -hmm. Because there's plenty, there are endless possibilities of things that you can do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love it. Well, guys, thank you so much. Thank you so much for talking with me. I feel like I learned so much. Again, I just feel like I am talking to two of my heroes. You guys are just doing such important work and I'm grateful for you. And yeah, thank you for taking your time to come on the podcast with me. Great pleasure. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. What a conversation. Oh my gosh, Jaya and Ian, I am so grateful for their work. And if you're listening to this, like, what the heck are we talking about? What the heck is an erotic blueprint? I wonder if the question coming up for you is, oh my gosh, like, I love God. I, you know, I love Jesus, love the Holy Spirit, all these, I love God. But how do I actually walk this out? How do I not be shut down to my sexual desire? How do I embrace my sexuality as a single person in a way that, feels honoring to my values and my faith. And I think so much of that process is first normalizing your desire and realizing that God created your desire. And that is really good news. And I love what Jaya and Ian said repeatedly. So much of this conversation is about willingness. 
showing up in our relationships and our personal sexual journey in a romantic relationship with a posture of curiosity, a willingness to listen, a willingness to communicate. Hey, this is my boundary and here's why this is my boundary. What's your boundary and why is it that way? How do we want to develop a romantic relationship together? What are our hard no's? What are we willing to explore? And realizing that's going to be different for different couples, different seasons, and to be willing to go on that journey, to be willing to allow yourself to ask yourself questions like, well, what is sex? Do I want to experience an orgasm with someone I'm dating? Do I want to save that for a marriage? Why? What are those reasons rooted in? Are they fear? Are they freedom? What is God's invitation for me in this? As opposed to what's right? What's wrong? What should I do? What shouldn't I do as a Christian? What is God inviting me into? What's the story God has for my sex life or my sexuality or my sexual desire. I want to leave you with, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, (laughs) six, maybe more resources to further your journey. First, go to eroticbreakthrough.com if you want to take Jaya and Ian's free blueprint quiz. They also have a paid version. I took both of them because I was curious. But go ahead, do that just so you can get a better idea of what your sexual language is. And if you, like myself, haven't had a plethora of sexual experiences, like Jaya said, imagine yourself in those situations. Let yourself breathe into it and feel what would it feel like to be in this situation? Is that something I think I would like or not? Be curious. Number two, shameless plug. I know, but my book, Sexless in the City. I have a whole chapter, I have multiple chapters dedicated to what is God's heart for sex? What's God's heart for sexuality? What does the Bible actually say about sex? How do we define sex? How do we establish our physical boundaries? All of that is in my book. Jaya mentioned the book by Helen Fisher, Why Him, Why Her? This is a great resource. Helen Fisher also has great TED Talks and YouTubes about sex. I quote her a lot in my book because she believes that there is no such thing as casual sex due to the hormones and neurotransmitters released when we experience pleasure with another person. Next is a book called Slow Sex by Diane Richardson. Next is the book Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. You've heard me talk about this book a thousand times. If you want to figure out your body as a, as a woman, or if you are a man and you want to know more about female sexuality, this is one of the most practical, helpful books I've read about sexuality. Next is a book called She Comes First by Ian Kerner, all about female pleasure and the body. And then two other books I will give you that I've said a thousand times as Girls and Sex by Peggy Orenstein and Boys and Sex by Peggy Orenstein. She basically does these massive research projects where for one entire book, she researches young women's experiences, romantic experiences, sexual experiences, and what that was like, and then does it with young men as well. It was so enlightening for me. And I quote her a million times in my book, so check her out, check all of these resources out. And I think what Jaya and Ian said, let's be people who are actively intentional about this area of our lives just as much as we are about our work lives, just as we are about our spiritual lives. I love that Ian said, like making love is an art, like it takes skill. And whether you're single or in a relationship, it's always good to learn. It's always good to know, man, how can I show up differently? How can I show up more holistically in this conversation and in this area of my life? So my invitation to you is to stay willing, stay curious, be willing to ask questions, be willing to listen, be willing to learn, and let's normalize this conversation that has been taboo for so long. All right, this has been so fun. Talk to you next week.